But before we begin with that, let me just open uh, our time in prayer. So would you join me in prayer? Father, I thank you for the privilege we have to be here, to be in your word, to gather as your family, to sing, to worship. Lord, this moment is so incredible. It's a gift that you've given to us. Lord, may we be faithful with that gift. May we honor you with our time. And God, may we just grow in the image of your Son, love you more out of this. And Lord, out of that, may we make you known to the world. Thank you, God, for this time. Thank you for the trip that's coming up. God, please pray for safety in the travels and for favor among the people we meet with. Thank you for this gift. And I lift all this up in the precious name of Jesus. Amen. Well, we're beginning our, our summer series. Um, if this is your first Sunday here, we are taking a break from our normal study. We've been studying the Gospel of Luke. We study through books of the Bible here. But, but this summer, we're taking a six-week break just to stop and, and, and answer questions that you have. So we've put before you and say, listen, we know you've, as you've been studying and as we've been going through uh, our study of the Scriptures together, questions come up. And when we're preaching, we're not able to apply to every individual situation. Uh, oftentimes, when, when you're up here preaching, you write your application really to the issues of the heart and the mind, because I couldn't sit down and figure out where every single one of you's at and have a four-hour concluding point where I apply it to all of your lives directly. And so we deal with just issues of how we're thinking, how we're feeling. Trusting the Spirit will then flesh that out in your life. But I know that questions come up. People have questions. So we put it before you. What questions do you have that we studied? And, uh, and we will take the time to answer those questions. And the reason why is because uh, this is not, as I said earlier, this is not a, uh, a lecture time. This isn't a Bible class. I'm not a professor. God's called me to be a shepherd. So I want to make sure we're shepherding your hearts and that your questions are getting answered. Now, as we go through this, we're going to have six weeks or six questions we'll be addressing. But there are some ground rules to this. I need to give them to you as we go through this because it's a little bit different. So I want to make sure we all have our ground rules laid out. There's a few of them. Let me give you the first one. The first ground rule is this, that myself or Jeff or Mike, we will not be able to address all the issues that underlie your question. So you've submitted questions to us. Now, I know that when you write your question down on a piece of paper, or you submitted it on the website or whatever, emailed it to us, you had a lot going into that question. And when I read your question, I might not have been able to have interpreted all that went into that question. You could have been mad when you wrote that question, right? Or you could have been frustrated. You could have been sad. I don't know. I, I just read the question. I believe the best in you when I read the question, okay? And so I know that, that when we're up here, myself or Mike or Jeff, and we're answering your questions, we're not going to be able to address all the issues that underlie a question. So if there was some area that didn't get addressed that we missed, just ask for grace for you not to get upset with us and just come up and say, hey, could you address this part specifically? Just because I know we're not going to be able to do that. Second ground rule for our time here is that not every question asked will be something that you might be asking. You might come up with a son and you go, ah, I know the answer to that question. Now, we've put the questions out there in emails and you see them in your bulletin. And, and so the idea for you isn't to say, oh, I know the answer 
uh, to the question on July 7th. So, freebie Sunday. Let's go water skiing. No. No, 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 no. You need to be here. Here's the reason why. Church isn't just about you, okay? It's about the body. And, and it's possible that maybe the answer to that question might help you help someone else. If you know the answer to the question, and maybe somebody's sitting next to you struggling with it, and, and they haven't been able to get it, you might be the one God's going to use to help them answer that question. So use it as a time to equip you, because the point of the body is we build ourselves up in love. So we need you here, even if, if it's not something that addresses a question you might be asking. Third ground rule, this one I really want to, to emphasize, only God possesses all wisdom. Okay? So that's like, hey, be gracious, because we don't know everything. So we're going to answer the question as best we can. But God is our wisdom. We're going to use the scriptures because that's where the wisdom comes from. But, uh, but just remember that. And fourthly, the series is going to be a little different from our regular teaching time. You know, our regular teaching time is we open up the scriptures, we walk through them, we expound on them. Well, we're going to do that here. But we are focusing a little bit more on application. The premise of these questions have all come from things that we've studied or have been part of our past. And so we're not going to go back and reteach all of those lessons to get back to the question. So we're going to be in the scriptures without question, but, but we are going to focus a lot more probably on application and how these truths flesh out in your life. So just it'll feel a little different than our normal Sundays. So here's what happened. Let me explain to you how this process came about, how these questions came about. You submitted your questions. I took all your questions and I, I wrote them out on a whiteboard. And then I looked at them and said, okay, where, where are the common themes of the questions? So that was able to group them, move them into common themes. And then once they were grouped into common themes, I was able to say, okay, all of these questions are basically asking this one big picture question. And I would, whoa, come up with, wow, never done that before. Come up with that big picture question. So there are six big picture questions. Underneath those big picture questions are all the questions that were asked that are connected to that. So what I'm going to do is ask the big picture question, and then throughout unpacking that question, I'm going to insert all of the questions that came. I'm not going to say names or anything like that, don't worry. <laughs> but we're going to just kind of put them out there, and then, that, and then work at answering the question. So here are the questions that we'll be answering. This week we're asking the question, what does it practically mean to be all in? How do we avoid making all in a new work. We'll explain that all in, especially if you're visiting here. Next week, Mike's going to deal with the question, do people need to repent in order to be forgiven? Meaning, if you don't, if you sin against me and you don't repent, do I get to withhold forgiveness from you? It's a good question, isn't it? Okay, he'll answer that one. Then I'll come back. I'll t the question I'll do on July 7th. What are the differing views on how to interpret the gospel of Luke? Many questions about hermeneutics that came up, right? Is Luke a, a book only for Jewish Christians? Did the church replace Israel? Questions like that, okay? And then, if love fulfills the law, can someone be a Christian outside of Jesus because they love others? So this is the issue of love. How do we interpret love as a fulfillment of the law, specifically in relation to Jesus? And uh, can someone who doesn't believe in Jesus but love others, do we say they're a Christian? So there's that question. Um, 
And then men and women's roles. Jeff will tackle that. Men and women's roles in the church. How does that look? And then finally, how do we understand holiness in a way that drives us towards humility rather than a judgmental spirit? So, those are the questions. We're going to be unpacking them. And, uh, and I would ask for you to pray for us as we work on the answers to these questions. And I would ask for you to be gracious with us in the course of this. We'll do the best we can. And, uh, and know this, the motive of our heart is to shepherd. It's not to debate or to argue or to arm wrestle you theologically, but just to shepherd you. And, and that, that's, that's, that's what we want to see happen as we unite around the Word. So, let's deal with our first question. The first question is this. What does it mean to be all in? Now, if you don't know what all in, that, that's, as we've been going through Luke, that's just been a, a phrase I've been using to describe Jesus' call in our lives. Jesus is calling us to be all in. And I've been using phrases as I've been teaching through Luke. If you're not all in, you're all out. And these kind of really strong phrases like that. And so the question comes up, what does it really mean to be all in? Is all in now just suddenly saying, now we got to add missions to your life. Now you guys are going on short-term missions trips. Is all in me, now you guys are teaching Sunday school and work in the nursery and, and you got to be a youth leader and, and suddenly now I'm just adding and adding and adding to your life. Is that what all in mean? Does all in mean now that I got to start becoming some kind of fruit inspector and saying, okay, if I didn't accomplish a whole bunch of things today for Jesus, then I'm all out and going to hell. Is that what all in means? Does all in mean suddenly now that I'm, I'm focusing on, on doing and doing and doing and adding all of this stuff to my life? Does all in mean that? What does all in mean? You know, is it possible that all in could mean that I'm doing less with my life and not more? Right? These are some of the, the questions that have come up. And, and the thing that can drive some of those questions can be sometimes the, the illustrations that are used. I might use a, an illustration because it's an obvious extreme illustration, but you take a missionary, right? And you say, okay, look at this person. They left everything they had, all the comforts of the world. They went to some place where they gave it all up and fought off warriors to preach the gospel. And you look at that and go, wow, that is incredible, but that's so not me. I just like get up and go to work every day. And it's stressful sometimes. And, and, and it's hard for me. And sometimes when I realize I'm running late for work and I got to put gas in my car and I'm all, now I'm all angry. It's like I can't even put gas in my car without sinning. How in the world could I, you know, go out to the, to the far reaches of the world and preach the gospel, right? So you could feel a disconnect when you, when, when you see that. So that's the, that's the essence of the question. Now, let's answer it, okay? There's the question. What does it mean to be all in? What does it mean that I'm going to be a disciple of Jesus and give up my life and count the cost and, and give it all up for him? So here's the answer. And as I set up this answer for you, uh, what I want to do is I want to just give you the answer to the question first. And then we'll unpack the scriptures where that answer came from. But I just want to make sure I at least answer the question directly. Because if I don't, I'll get into all the explanations like I'm doing now and never get to the point because I like to talk, as you know. So, so here's the answer to the question. Okay? 
To be all in means that I believe every moment of my life is meant to do two things. Okay? So, so to be all in, when we talk about being a disciple, a, a full-on all-in disciple of Jesus, it means that I believe every moment of my life is meant to do two things. Number one, make me more like Jesus. And number two, make Jesus known through me. So all in is not a work. It's not adding missions to your life. When we talk about being a disciple of Jesus, giving my all, counting the cost, and following him, what it means is principally that I'm understanding and believing something about my life. That suddenly my life, two things are happening all the time in my life. Number one, Jesus is using every moment to make me more like him. Because he's called me to a new identity. When he saved me, he made me something new. A new identity. And he's going to use all of the events of my life to form that new identity in me. And second, he's made me this new identity so that I could announce to the world how awesome he is. I could announce to everybody, everywhere, all the time, how awesome he is. Now, if I go through life with that mindset, I'm all in. You see, it's beginning by believing, this is what I believe has happened to me. He's called me out of darkness. He's placed me into the light. He's given me a new identity. He made me a child of, of, of the, took me from being a child of the devil to becoming a child, a son of God. He's changed my identity so that I could now take that new identity and wherever I'm at, make his name known. All the time. Now, let me show you where this answer came from. It came from the theme verse that's all over our bulletin and it's different places. It's the verse that, that we have said this defines us. It's 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 9 and 10. And one of the things that you'll notice as we go through this verse is that as Peter is defining the believer here, he begins by first saying, this is who you are. And as a result of who you are, this is what you're to do. This is how you're to live. But it always begins with who you are. And that's why I say being all in, first of all, is recognizing, God, I don't think this moment is a moment where you're just beating me up or judging me or condemning me or, or that you've forsaken me right now. I believe that, the, that what I'm going through, the good, the bad, the ugly of my life, is so that you would see what you're making me, the identity you give me, come out of me. And then once that begins to come out, I then make your name known everywhere, wherever I'm at, whether it's in my backyard whether it's at Walmart, whether it's in Canada, doesn't matter, wherever it is. Now let's look at the text. Let me show it to you here. Okay? Notice what he says there first in, in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9. He says, But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession. Now, if we were preaching through 1 Peter, we would, we would notice something. Well, we'll notice it even though we're not, but if we were preaching through it, this would stand out for us, that this verse begins with a, with a but, 
conjunction, a, a negative, a contrast. And so what he's done is he's laid out the sin of these people who have rejected Jesus. And right there at the very end of 8, he says, they stumble because they disobey the word as they were destined to do. But you, you're different now from, the, from those who have rejected Christ. You're different. And what makes you different is not what you do. What makes you different is who you are. That's the first key to being all in. What makes me different isn't that suddenly I stop hanging out over here and I started hanging out over here, or I stopped doing this and I started doing this. What makes me different is first recognizing my identity. When God did a work in my life, He made me something. He made me something and He's making me something. Now notice what it is. He says, but you're different. You're different. He doesn't say you're different because now you teach Sunday school or you have done this or you've become a missionary. You're different because you are, notice, a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession. First step to being all in is recognizing who I am in Jesus. Who I am. Notice these descriptions. We'll just touch on them here lightly. First we see Peter says you're a chosen race. This is a whole new identity. That's what he means by that. You have a whole new identity. You're, you're, a, you're a people group that's different now. You see, you've been pulled out of where you've been by God, and he's now placed you in a whole new identity. You're part of God's kingdom. You're part of God's people. And that supersedes anything else. I'm no longer defined by all of the things that defined me in the past whether I wanted to be defined by the color of my skin or my nationality or the language I spoke or whatever. I'm now pulled out of that and I'm part of a whole new nation, a whole new people group, a whole new... I am in the body of Christ. That's who I'm part of Christ's body now. See, I'm a chosen race. The race that I'm a part of is the body of Christ. That's my identity. And then he says this. Not only that, you're now a royal priesthood. What did the priests do? They offered praise to God. They went in and offered worship to God. You now get to offer your life as a living sacrifice to God. You get to be a perpetual worshiper. You now have a purpose. God's going to use you to bring glory to Him. That's who you are. That's who you are. He says, you're a holy nation. You're now actually part of... Holy means set apart. You're a set apart people group now. Set apart. You've got a purpose. You're now going to gather as His body. And because you're set apart, you now have a usefulness in this world. Because you're part of His kingdom. You're part of the nation He's building called the kingdom of God. That's what you're a part of. And then He says... You're a people for God's own possession. God is actually forming you into Him, bringing you into relationship with Him. He's going to be with you and care for you. and He's going to bring you and adopt you into His family, and He's never going to let you go. Now, that's who you are. And Peter's saying, this is who you are. You have a new identity. 
You have a new mission. You have a new purpose in life. You've got a new lifestyle. You belong to God. That's who you are. So realizing this, the point is this. If I want to understand what does it mean to be a full-on disciple for Jesus, to be completely all in for the kingdom of God, I first have to stop and say, who am I? This is who I am. And now I realize something. Everything that God is doing in my life, this is what Romans 8, 28 is all about. God causing all these things to work for good. You know that verse. This is exactly what he's talking about. He isn't saying God's going to work, make all these things work out for good, meaning, if you just look at that verse by, it, uh, by itself, some people take it as this way. Oh, look, your car broke down. Don't worry, God's going to work it all out for good. You're driving a Chevy, but soon it'll be a Mercedes. He'll work it out for good. It isn't that. What he's saying is, what you're going through, the weaknesses of your life, the trials of living in a fallen world where creation is groaning, God's going to use all of that to conform you to the image of His Son. Because you see, the one that He foreknew, He predestined to be conformed to the image of His Son, and you're going to be glorified in the end. You see, He's making you into His person, to this new identity. So being all in, I'm recognizing something first. I'm believing the reality that God is making me, fleshing out within me, Everything that I saw there in 1 Peter 2, 9. That every moment, every experience, every joy, every trial, every good, every bad, every pain, every ill, is working that out. If at that point I reject that and I say, well, I don't want to have to go through all that because I don't want to be a, 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 all that he said in 1 Peter 2, 9, then you're not all in. You're not all in. That's what he's saying. To be all in is first to recognize this new identity. This is who I am. But then notice what happens. Who I am then leads to how I live. Notice the end of 1 Peter 2.9. That you may proclaim the excellencies of Him who called you out of darkness into His marvelous light. He's done all of this in your life so that you would give glory to God. recently talking with somebody who went through a struggle and this person who was not a believer asked this Christian about his struggle and said, how did you get through it? He said, you know what? I would have not gotten through it had I not been a Christian. That trial would have crushed me. Jesus got me through it. That's how he answered his non-believing friend. That's the point. That's 1 Peter 2.9 right there. That I would... Give praise of the excellencies of God. You're working all these things in my life. I'm believing it. And I want to tell people how great, I, how great it is because of, look at verse 10. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, now you have received mercy. At one point, you're walking after the course of this world, and then God got your life and saved you, and he did these incredible things, and he's doing these incredible things, and he's sustaining you, and everywhere we go, we're supposed to give testimony of that. So that could be tomorrow at the gas station or at the coffee shop or at your place of work or it could be to the furthest reaches of the world if God's calling you there. But the bottom line is this. Being all in isn't a location. That's what you have to catch. It's not a location and it's not a work. 
Being all in is recognizing that at this moment, God is working everything to form me into the person that, he, that, he, that he's designed me to be so that I would tell whoever is around me about it. And then as God stirs, some of you might say, I'm called to go to the foreign field or I'm called to be a vocational minister, called to do whatever. Now that doesn't matter now. Okay, let me kind of explain to you this. Let me give you even just like a snapshot of, of this because what I'm trying to catch you to see is that, that, that this is... This isn't just an action. It's, it's a whole worldview mindset. You know, when I was in high school, uh, I went to high school with these two guys that really wanted to be cops. My senior year of high school, that TV show Miami Vice was really popular. Okay? And, uh, and those of you who, who know the show, you remember the clothing, the white jacket and the pastel shirts? Sorry, I'm only talking to people in their 40s now. Okay, but you know what I'm talking about? Remember that? Shake your head if you know what I'm talking about. Don't make me feel like I'm a dumb person up here, right? right? That show really was on, wasn't it, right? You're all just staring at me. Okay, <laughs> okay so these guys, I had two friends, they wanted to be cops. And they would walk through school, walk through my high school, dressed like those two characters. And everything they did was about becoming those two detectives on that show. They both went off to college to study law enforcement. They both graduated college, which was surprising, and then <laughs> they both got hired at the same police department. Because of the internet, I won't tell the state, but if you know the TV show, you can figure it out, okay? In case these guys are listening, because I love these guys, okay? Lots of people listen on the internet, so in case they're listening. Okay. I went down and visited these guys after they became cops, right? We're all in our early 20s. I went down and visited them, and everywhere they went, man, they had a gun on them and their badge, right? And everywhere they went, they acted like cops, right? I remember walking into a McDonald's with them. We were walking in. There were some people behind us, and, like, they stopped. like, go on in. Go on. They're, like, directing traffic, you know? <laughs> Come on. Go ahead. They're letting people in. Why don't you go ahead of us? We'll wait back here. All right, you know, they were just pointing things out. It was like... Man, these, you know, and because they were young, it's like, what's going on in there? Those kids went in the bathroom. They've been in there for a while. I'm going to go check it out. Right? They were just like, oh. being a cop wasn't a job to them. It's, it's, it's who they were. It, it overran everything and every part of life. They weren't just a cop when they were on their, their eight-hour shift. Then they went home and locked up their gun and locked up their badge and then just lived their life everywhere they went. They acted like cops all the time. I think that's what being all in recognizes. It's recognizing I belong to Jesus. He's conforming me. Every moment is conforming to the image of his son. And then every moment is not only conforming to the image of his son, I get to then make it known. If you were with these guys, within about 10 minutes, you would have figured out they were cops. They would have just made it known by the way they acted, by what they talked about, how they lived. It was a way of life for them. So, what does this mean then? I'm going to give you, and don't freak out at this number, I'm going to give you seven points of application. Okay? Seven points. But don't look at your watch. This is not a scary seven points. Okay? But seven points of application. And I want you to catch these seven points. They're very important. 
They will not be on the screen behind me. I did not put them in the PowerPoint. Okay? Here are the seven points. The first point of application is this. If we think about this, if we buy into this worldview, we recognize this, then the first point of application is this. It does not mean, being all in does not mean, and this is going to sound heretical, it does not mean that I am taking God everywhere I go. Okay, now that sounds scary, doesn't it? Like I'm on the edge there. It does not mean that I'm taking God everywhere I go. Here's what it means, though. It means that God is everywhere I go. And he's at work everywhere I go. He's at work all the time, everywhere. And the key to being all in is stopping saying, what do I have to do for you, God? And starting to think, God, what are you doing here? And how do you want me to be used here? How are you using this moment to make me more like Jesus? And how are you using this moment that I might make Jesus known? You get that shift in your brain. You're all in. So I don't have to come up with a vision statement for my work or a purpose statement for my work as a Christian. I just want to say, God, you're at work there. You realize God is at work in your work? At your work? You realize that God is at work in the lives of people? God is at work everywhere. He's saying, just join. So this leads to the second point of application. Being all in then does not mean that I'm starting some big program or adding a bunch of events to my life. Being all in then is similar to the first, the second point, similar to the first one. It means that I'm living each day believing that God is at work in it. And so, so I'm not taking him with me. He's already there. Therefore, I'm going to live each moment believing he's there and at work. So I'm not going to say, I work with a bunch of pagans and God has forsaken them. I'm going to say, I work with a bunch of pagans and God's at work there. God, what do you want me to do? How are you using this to form me into the image of your son? And how are you using this that I might make your name known? So therefore, this leads to the third point of application, right? So the first one is, I'm not taking God with me. He's there. So therefore, my second point, then I'm going to say, God, what do you want me to do there? Not adding a program. I'm asking God to show me. Which leads me to the third point, which is this, that all in means that I'm acknowledging the lordship of Jesus over all of his creation everywhere all the time. Jesus is Lord. I'm going to acknowledge that. So there's not a moment divorced from his lordship. Nothing's divorced from him. I'm going to submit to Jesus being Lord. So those first three applications just deal with how I view the world, right? Their worldview. Which is this. I'm not taking God with me. He's already there. Therefore, I'm going to say, God, how can I join you? Because I believe you're Lord. I believe Jesus is the Lord. Now the fourth point of application. Now I want to get really practical with it. Down to just kind of daily existence. If those, if I'm going to, if I'm going to hold on to those first three, then my fourth one is that I am now going to start looking at every point of contact I have with my world. 
every point of contact I have with my world. And I'm going to say, God, how am I to live, show, and tell the gospel at that point of contact? How am I to live, show, and tell the gospel with that point of contact? Now, I want to give you an illustration of this, but what I don't want to do is I'm not trying to lay this illustration out as some big added amount of work in your life. This is just a picture of how I saw this play out in someone's life. Years ago, one of my first career jobs is I worked in the public schools. And, uh, and I was a young man, and there was this teacher that was there uh, who was in his mid to late 50s who was a believer. And this man, in my mind, is like one of these, just a, one of these defining characters in my life of a guy that really impacted me in a huge way, massively huge way. And I was reflecting on his life because this guy lived this stuff. He lived it in the schools. Totally lived it. And I was reflecting on it, and I, and, I, and I came to the conclusion there were four things about this guy that just that have stuck in my brain. And these four things is not a list of four things to do. This is, I'm just going to describe this guy with four descriptions. But, but, but he got this, I, I believe. The first thing that I realized about him was that he loved his wife and his kids. And everywhere he went, he spoke highly of his wife and his kids. He was never in that faculty lounge ripping his spouse, ripping his wife. He was never doing that. He never sat there and rolled his eyes. Oh, can you believe my kids? Oh, you know. Man, every time he spoke of his wife and his children, just displaying love. That was huge in that faculty lounge. Because the faculty lounge at where I was at was the place where everybody dumped on their spouse and kids. But man, he loved them. He loved them. Second, he served his coworkers. You could always count on him, no matter what. You could call him, and he'd serve you. Third, he never, that I ever saw, entered into the gossip around the school. You think there's gossip that goes on in a lunchroom with the students. You ought to be in a high school faculty lounge, especially when the administration pulls off some really dumb decision, you know, and all the teachers, you know, just yapping about it. He'd just disengage. He just disengaged from it. The fourth thing I realized about him was that he always had meaningful conversations with people. Always meaningful. They weren't always like these gospel kind of conversations, but he'd say, hey, you know, I saw you that you're walking with a limp. What happened? Is there anything I can help you with? Anything I can help you carry to your car? Notice you're walking. You know, I mean, just, just saw people engaged him meaningfully. This guy had a powerful testimony. Now, I don't think he sat down with a checklist and said, number one, got to love my wife and kids today. Number two, you know, serve my coworkers. Number three, you know, I don't think he did that. I think he was just all in. And it was reflected in what came out of his heart, came out of his mouth, what came out of his life. That he knew he belonged to Jesus. He wanted to serve Jesus and as that new identity became to come out of him, it came out with expressions of the way he talked about his family, and the, way, the way he served people, and the way that he held up people in the school, and the way that he engaged people. That's all in. That to me is all in. And that's like looking at a point of contact in your life and saying, okay, God, how can I engage that point of contact? So if I believe that the, the, the God's already there, 
and, and I believe that God wants to use me when he's there, and I believe he's Lord over that moment, then what I want to do is examine that moment and say, God, how do you want me to let this identity that you're working within me come out to the praise of the glory of you? Fifth application. Practical thing. In order to do that, in order to do that, especially that fourth one, the fifth one then means that you might actually have to cut some things out of your life. You actually might have to eliminate. We are very wealthy, and we can entertain ourselves to death, can't we? We could play every day, every night, every weekend, and we can just be living for that pleasure, living for that next fun thing, and forget that God has left us here so that he would conform us to the image of his son so that we would make his son known, which requires meaningful relationships. It requires engaging people. And some people are so busy that they don't have time to actually invest. And so there is a reality that some need to slow down and say, yeah, it's time. I'm done playing. I'm done with goofing off. I'm done with just living for my own fun. I don't want to make fun the non-negotiable and then the kingdom of God kind of fire insurance in case I die on my next outing. I know I'm going to heaven. I want to live for that kingdom now. So some need to maybe cut some things out. But sixthly, the sixth point of application is some of you might need to do more. Some of you have cocooned yourself in a little world. You don't come out of that cocoon. Jesus did not say the gates of heaven. He said the gates of hell will not withstand the church. Why am I saying that? The church is on the offense. Satan is on the defense. The culture is not conquering the church. The church in Christ is conquering the culture. Don't believe that we're supposed to gate ourselves up against the onslaught of the culture. The culture cannot stand when we live for the kingdom of God. It can't. It cannot stand. The gates of hell cannot prevail against the church when it is all in. Am I right? That's a good spot for an amen, I think, right? You should have some hooping and hollering, right? The gates, I appreciate that. The gates of hell cannot stand. And so we're not to build the gates of heaven to hold back the onslaughts of the culture. No. Jesus said, I did it. It's finished. I crushed his head. So let's be all in. We can do it. So some of you got to get out of the cocoon mentality of protecting ourselves and say, man, I'm protected. I'm in Christ. Let's go. Now, it might cost you your life, right? It could cost you that. It could cost you friends. I know definitely if it doesn't cost you your life on this side of the planet, it will cost you a boatload of emotion. You're going to pour your life out as a drink offering for people, and you might not get a lot in return back. But it's worth it. It is so worth it. It's so worth it. So, some need to do a little bit more. Seventh, last point of application. Don't forget the purpose of the church. The point of coming here then isn't 
that you're supposed to just do a bunch of works and you know do 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 do. The point here primarily is that we're to build each other up in love. The, the point of all that we're doing is that you would be shepherded by those God has raised up to shepherd. And that you would build each other up in love so that as you go to pour your life out as a drink offering, you're doing it with a full cup. The hardest part about being in the kingdom of God is we pour our life out as a drink offering and then usually once we pour it out, what does your instinct say? I can't go anywhere. I I don't want to be around the people of God. I've poured it out this week. Now, question, theological question. Does that sound more like God or Satan? If you think that through a little bit. Would God be saying, yeah, you have poured it all out, man. Stay away from my people. Heaven forbid you hear his word and get filled up. You should stay home. It'll help. Right? I don't think that's God. The point, the reason I'm telling you this, this isn't like come to church more, get involved more. This is come here because this is where your cup is filled up. But also come here because I need you to fill my cup up. I need you to encourage me. And if you're not here, I miss out on the gift that God's given you that fills my cup up so that I can pour my life out as a drink offering this week. We need each other. We need each other. It's hard. I know it's hard. I know it's hard. But we need it. And don't forget that because if we're going to be all in, we don't want to forsake the assembling together because this is how we build each other up. This is how we do it. So, let's wrap it up. Here's the question. What does it mean to be all in? What does it mean to be a disciple? To be all in means that I believe every moment of my life is that Jesus is making me more like him. And in doing that, he's allowing me to make his name known. Practically, there are the seven points of application. And here's where I snuck them on the PowerPoint slides. I wanted to keep you engaged during that part. So here's where they are. If you missed them when I was saying them, they're this. First, we don't take God with us. God's at work everywhere we go. Remember that. You're going to be all in. Keep that in mind. Second, it means you live your life each day with a view to believing that God is using each day to make you more like Him and making Him known. Tomorrow, what comes your way, God is not punishing you He's not ripping your heart out just because he's this vicious God who wants to rip your heart out. He's not punishing you for past sins. He's not even punishing you tomorrow for the dumb things you're going to do this afternoon. Don't devalue the cross in thinking that way. What comes your way tomorrow is to make you more like Jesus so that you could make Jesus known. Third, being all in then means that we're acknowledging Jesus as Lord in every area. I don't want to run from Jesus when things are going bad. I don't want to think that Jesus is punishing me. He's Lord. He's working these things out. So fourthly, then, I want to examine the points of contact of my life. Where do I touch this world? Where do I touch it in my neighborhood? Where do I touch it in my work? Where do I touch it at the gas station? Where do I touch it at the coffee shop? Wherever it is, wherever your points of contact. And say, God, you're at work there. Use this to conform me to the image of Jesus so that I would make Jesus known at that point of contact. Fifthly, what are the things you need to cut out of your life where you're just entertaining yourself to death and you're not living this way? Get rid of them. 
Get rid of every encumbrance, the author of Hebrews says, so you could run that race. But sixthly, where have you cocooned yourself? What are the fears you have that you haven't submitted to the Lordship of Jesus? Every fear that keeps me from acting in love for God and love for others is an area where I haven't submitted to the Lordship of Christ. So what do you need to submit to the Lordship of Christ? Sixthly, being all in then means, God, use me as a missionary where I'm at. And seventh, don't forget the church. You need this place. We need to build each other up. We're here to be eyes out, to encourage each other, to build ourselves up in love, fill our cups up so that we can go out of here and pour it out again for His kingdom. So, that's how I answer the question. What does it mean to be all in? That's what I believe it means. So why don't I do this? Why don't I pray for us that we can Take to heart what Peter said in 1 Peter 2, 9 and 10. Let's pray together. Jesus, I thank you. You work all things out so that we would be conformed to the image of your Son. You do this work in our lives. That every moment is about making us more like you so that we could make you known. God, may we just adopt that as a way of life. And then wherever you would, whatever location, whether it's in our Jerusalem, our Judea, Samaria, the world, wherever it is, that's what we would be. Free us from thinking it's adding works. Free us from thinking that it means having to leave. Let us adopt it as a way of life. Lord, the areas where we're entertaining ourselves and living for our own flesh and our own pleasure. God, just do a work. May your spirit just convict us of those areas that we might lay aside those encumbrances. Lay aside those things that keep us too busy that we might focus on being made like your image so that we would make you known. And the areas where we've cocooned ourselves out of fear, out of worry, out of anxiety, may we submit that to your lordship. God, may we be willing to to, to recognize there is a cost of being a disciple. And you do pour your life out. And you, we will get hurt. But it's worth it. And God, may we not neglect each other. Lord, may we, may we recognize that we need each other. Not pull away when things are tough, but run and engage. God, fill us up with love and compassion remove any judgmental spirit within us that would keep people from coming to us. And Lord, even today, after we are done here, may we have eyes not on ourselves, but on others. Use every one of us to, to just be a tool in your hands to fill people's cups that they might live for you. Thank you, Jesus, for all that you do in and through us. May we make you known. In Christ's name, amen.